Hey guys, welcome back to the show and thank you so very much for tuning in. If it's your first time here, my name is Lauren and this is Liam. Hello. We have a lot to talk about today. The internet's just been up in arms doing crazy stuff. First up, the problem with dating conservatives, at least according to the Mary Sue, is that they're just bad people. They just don't want human rights for everyone, just despicable. Then according to a new study, the UK sucks for trans people. Their words, not mine. Then Teen Vogue goes full communist, and I'm talking even more so than usual. They want the complete abolishment of property rights. And finally, we have a new story looking at entitled fans versus just the ever-loving, wholesome critics that know more about art and just are better better arbiters of what is and what is not good media. So first up, have you ever heard of the bold type? It's a show. No. Okay. Well, apparently this show, which I have no interest in watching, they have a relationship happen between a conservative white woman and this queer black woman. And it's, you know, meant to be about how you can overcome political differences if you love I, each other. I just, I'm so confused at the, the label of conservative white woman. With I, Yeah, I know. Anyway, but anyway, I, the I, message is supposed to be about how you can date people even with political differences, which is a surprisingly wholesome message from a show that seems like it's very pro-social justice. So, I mean, hats off to them. I don't think I'm the target audience for that show, but still it's nice, you know, when other places are promoting just coming together and looking past politics. Mary Sue is not yeah. about that life, though. They are not happy with this message. They think, no, conservatives can't date them, can't be friends with them. Why try? They're just terrible. So we have this article from someone who is, if you're a Trump supporter, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try being friends with them. It says, the problem with the bull type romanticizing relationships with conservatives, all too fitting in the wake of the notorious Harper's Magazine open letter decrying so-called cancel culture, free forms the bold type took a surprising route in the second half of its fourth season. Wow, the show is in its fourth season. I've never heard of it before. Setting out to humanize Eva, a conservative white woman. Like, you don't need to humanize it. Like, they're people. Like, what? Not in the eyes of the Mary Sue. Yeah, they need to be humanized because they're so far from that naturally. Mm. Okay, so on top of the show's bizarre character redemption arc for Eva, it paired her with Kat Edison, a queer black woman whose entire identity throughout the series has been rooted in social justice activism. So they're mad that they're trying to have a redemption arc for this despicable, non-human, conservative white woman. It says, the show romanticizes the relationship between Eva and Kat despite their quote, political differences, while failing to acknowledge that Eva, Eva's political differences are really deep, violent oppression. They're just coming out and saying, yeah. like, just violent and oppress uh, oppression. And I, I haven't seen the actual episodes, but I'm pretty sure that if this character is in a relationship with another person, she's not actually advocating genocide. Right? That's probably no, not of course. what the no, show no, is portraying. No, just if you haven't caught on yet, it's probably she's like a fiscal conservative. Yeah, or she voted she, for Trump she or She wants something. small government. Yeah, she just, wants lower taxes. That's yeah. the violent oppression. Both the relationship between the two characters and the writer's sympathetic portrayal of a conservative white woman. Why are they always mentioning the whiteness? Like, how is that relevant? They love to bring up race and it's, it's yes. Yeah, her whiteness. Yes. Who vocally supports and strives to advance bigoted, xenophobic, racist, and anti-environment policies seem deeply at odds with the moral lessons the show has always centered and the values Kat has spent the past four seasons fighting for. An unlikely romance begins to bloom when Eva invokes, quote, free speech to protect Kat from losing her job after Kat rightfully criticizes Eva for her toxic stances and efforts to dehumanize immigrants, indigenous people, and marginalized communities. That's a lot of people to dehumanize 
dehumanize at the yes. workplace all at once. But so right here, I love how they say she invokes free speech as if that's like a, a right wing dog whistle. Yeah. Yeah. But from what this article is saying about Eva, it seems like she's wanting this SJW to keep her job even though they have political differences. So right off the bat, she doesn't seem like that terrible a person, right? She's no, clearly... she seems like someone who's principled. Yeah. But of course, they the people that are writing this, even though they're on Eva's side, disagree with those principles. They mm -hmm. don't believe in free speech. They believe that Eva should not, Eva, Eva, they should not be allowed to speak. Right. Right. Whatever um, the progressive said here, I forget the lady's name. Cat. Cat said here, that was the correct speech. That mm -hmm. was what was allowed. She, she, she was idea, in her right. Yeah. yeah. She should have called her out probably committed a little bit of violence against her because it's, it's, not, it's violence not violence because of the power structure. Yeah, and it's actually, way. it's preemptive protection of marginalized people. It says, as the two spend more time together and their relationship develops, the bold type portrays Eva as courageous and forward thinking. How dare they? And as if she genuinely cares about Kat, who is again, a queer black woman directly harmed and often denied humanity by Eva's politics. Yeah, so it's like, if you're a conservative, I just want you to know that in the eyes of the Mary Sue, you are incapable of actually caring for someone who is black or LGBT and you are actually trying to kill them, like violently oppress them. I mean, just the lack of introspection already in this yeah. article is like, she's talking about hu the, like the, the futile act of humanizing Eva while saying Eva is dehumanizing right, cat. Uh, cat. It's it's just like, dude, you have no- No self-awareness. You like you, you, your mirrors probably don't work. Yeah. You don't have any in your home. I don't know. <laughs> It's yeah. crazy. It's, that's such a great point. And it's like they do what they accuse conservatives of doing all the time, which is dehumanizing someone, yes. um, not caring about them, not viewing them as worthy of respect or love and things like that. And it's really disgusting. And I feel bad for these show writers who are clearly just trying to make a come together point, but their woke audience is apparently not impressed by it. it says the underlying argument is that love and attraction can transcend even deep differences in opinion. The horror. <laughs> The horror, dating someone with different political opinions. You can't have that. You can't date outside the cult. This storyline ultimately ignores that. While we can all have disagreements, it doesn't seem like it. Like, it doesn't seem like it at all from this article, but it is not just an opinion whether other human beings deserve basic human rights, whether immigrant families deserve to be together, or whether marginalized communities deserve clean air and water. <laughs> just like Eva, she's like just this evil person who yes. at night goes out of her way to just dump oil into immigrant families' neighborhoods. <laughs> what? Oh my, but this just goes to show how little they've cared to even explore the other side's ideas, yeah. right? Because I, there are liberals who comment on our channel all the time and say, I disagree because of X, Y, Z. And you can tell like they've actually listened to me, which I appreciate. They honestly just have a difference of opinion, which mm. is legitimate. But when it comes to people like this, you're a caricature and you have a caricature in mind of what the other side believes. Like there's been no effort. Yeah, the problem is that this this kind of transcends the media here and goes into the real world. Yeah, right? and they, there are people that will think of this of people that watch the show, of mm -hmm. myself, of you, and unfortunately, I'm not. I'm no longer on like the high horse. Well, I'll treat them like uh, you know, uh, there's some kind of uh, person that I want to actually be around at this point. Yeah. I don't want to have anything to do with these people anymore. They they truly truly probably want the worst for me. Right. And at this point, uh, I'm, I'm tired of being the one that's like, okay, we'll take the high road. Uh, 
they have their own free speech, whatever it is, as long mm-hmm. as they're not violating my rights. No, I don't want anything to do with this. It actually makes me angry right. at this point. And just to be clear, you're not talking about the average progressive who just holds progressive values. You're no. talking about people who dehumanize conservatives based on our beliefs, right? Oh, yeah, of course. You yeah. see calls for violence all the time on social media. Of course, mm-hmm. so only the conservatives would get banned if they said anything remotely right. like, uh, you know. Like not even not even remotely citing violence, but the things that they would categorize as violence. Meanwhile, I've seen call out for, you know, if I see if I see a turf in the street, who by the way by by most standards would be progressive, right? Then I, I will kill them. Right, I, I've seen that too. You know, stuff like so. actually violent rhetoric, and none of it gets called out. And I'm frankly. At, at the same place now where I look at what rhetoric like this gets us and it's, you know, people burning things down in the street, doxing people, actual violence. And it's like, I don't have time for these people, right? Respect and understanding is a two-way street. And if you're not even willing to listen to what I have to say, then screw you, right? I mean, yeah. I've had people say like, I, I want to debate you on whether you're on, on how you're a fascist. And it's like, you're clearly, you clearly haven't even the slightest regard for anything I've said. So how do you expect me to take the time to listen to you when you have you don't care at all? for what I'm saying. The article continues though, it's also impossible to ignore the racist power dynamics that belie Kat and Eva's relationship as Kat, a black woman, is positioned in a service role as a bartender at the Bell, while Eva is positioned as a wealthy, powerful white woman being served and using her power and privilege to advance systemic oppression. During the debate on Kat's podcast shortly after coming out, Eva insists that sexual orientation and gender identity aren't a personality, okay, I agree with that, and that it's up to her whether or not and the extent to which she chooses to express this part of her identity. In response, Kat is understanding and even apologetic. That makes sense to me? No, is that, I don't understand how that's bigot, right? She's right. Sexual orientation and gender identity aren't a personality. Right. It's up to her whether or not and the extent to which she chooses to express this part of her identity. Of course, and that's, yes. that, you know, that's a standard boomer talking point, frankly, and that's fine. I agree with it. It's one yeah. of those things where it's like, the, if the most interesting thing about you is who you're attracted to. You're not interesting. You're not interesting. Yeah. And I'm, that's... That's true. As much as it is, you know, yeah, but I've I mean, heard my dad say that a million times, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. And I, we've heard people at part of the LGBT plus community brag on gay people or trans people for not being gay enough or trans enough because they refuse to make it this huge part of the, their identity. Yes. We heard that about, um, oh gosh, who was the presidential candidate from Indiana who looked like a who? Buttigieg. Oh, Buttigieg yeah. yeah, we heard it about Buttigieg. You hear it about people like Dave Rubin, people like even mm-hmm. Blair White, and it's like they're right. I mean, and honestly, that's how most LGBT people act in the real world, but it's just these activists aren't happy with it. It's just crazy how many flaws there are in the system of thinking, too. It's yeah. like if, you, if Joe Biden calls black people monolithic thinking, horrible racist. If you're gay and you don't act like a gay monolith, you're not gay. Yeah, not you gay know, enough. You have internalized homophobia. Yeah, it's I the amount of just self contradiction yeah. in their way of thinking is mind boggling because it's gotten it's still gotten so far. Yeah. Despite everything. And by the way, this isn't we had to cut out parts of this article for time. It's exhausting to get through this piece. Like I'm exhausted emotionally, just in, I'm I'm tired. The last part says though, in this particular exchange, the show's writers fail to acknowledge how being able to pick and choose which identities to wear almost as an outfit is a privilege in itself, as black and brown and non-white passing folks can't simply opt out of their racial identity, nor can non-straight passing or non-cis passing folks. She's not talking about race. No. She's not talking about race and it is absolutely true what she has said in regard to sexuality and trans identity even if you are 
a trans woman who looks like the burliest dude, the extent to which you make that part of uh, how you express yourself or who you are, that is up to you, yep. right? Not everyone has to wear their identities on their sleeves, talk about it all the time, bios in the pronoun, make that all they all they want their personality to be about. And it's just the fact that these people don't even understand that is so frustrating. Yeah, not only that, the whole, again, the, the whole way of thinking makes her statement not even true because clearly by making white people the exception and the people that are above everybody, you've singled out all of white people that also cannot get rid of their right. skin color and are now being, in their mind, moved from the top of the, or the bottom of the oppression totem pole uh, and now they're being actually oppressed. Yeah. Although, I mean, they're going to argue that it's not oppression because of the power dynamics. But, it's, but of course, we crap. if you actually even look at society right now and you think that white people have power when, you know, you could be openly anti-Semitic if you're black on Twitter. You yeah. could say all kinds, <laughs> like there's just all kinds, it's all kinds of inequalities in the favor of people that are not white. Yeah. it uh, it's It's crazy. Yeah, we're living in the upside down. And I just want, I have some comments here from the readers that were posted on this article that I wanted to go through because it's not just the writer herself that has this opinion. Yeah. It's like their entire viewership. This person says, you can't humanize a conservative. They are already humans who choose to be monsters. I guess that's better because they're acknowledging that they're humans, but they're also calling them monsters. I don't know. I, I don't know. Don't... Just angry, not pro-conservative. No. This person says, an appeal for centrism and tolerance and unity is all well and good, and I'd love to see the divisions close and the country heal. Sounds great, but wait, there's more. But until the right wing decides to stop defining itself by hatred and of everyone whom looks different, lives different, loves different, thinks different, or prays different than them, any olive branch towards them is being offered at the expense of somebody's civil and human rights, existence is not negotiable. Hang on, so until the right wing decides to stop defining itself by hating people who think differently, we can't have unity. Like, yeah. is there no sense of irony among these no. people? No, not only that. I mean, uh, I think Michael Malice tweeted recently on Twitter that a conservatism is just progressivism. Driving going to, the speed limit. Driving yeah. the speed limit. And that's so true. If you look at the right wing today, most of, of people who are right wing are progressives from like 10 years ago, maybe yeah. 15 years ago. That's true. Uh, so I, I and the amount of acceptance, the amount of racism within the right wing, I think is, uh, you know, extremely minimal. Right. Extremely minimal. I love how they say existence is not negotiable. Like, that's always something they say, especially if they're, like, non-binary. Sure. Like, I Until exist. it comes to abortion. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> then finally, this person says, I legit can't be friends with a Trump supporter. Even if you don't have a straight-up disdain for marginalized people, the fact that the person you support goes out of his way to outright suppress them isn't a deal-breaker for you makes you just as bad, in my honest opinion. For me, like, I, I, I'm, I'm cool with that because I'm at least they're, they're upfront with their opinion and they might think that I'm missing out on something. Like, I can't be their friend. I don't care. Yeah, I don't care, I'm man. Okay with Sorry. That. At this point, like, listen, do your own thing. You have your little, your your life, which I'm sure, which uh, I hope it's happy, but I don't think you will be happy the way that you're living. Yeah, that's all. And it reminds me of this Rick and Morty quote: um, "I don't care about your your booze. I've seen what makes you cheer, and that's pretty much how I feel about these people. Like, I'm okay with you disliking me. I've seen what you like." I don't want to be a part of it. So that's just fine. Um, next up, we're going to be talking about the UK's supposed suppression of trans people. Before we do, though, I want to tell you all about ExpressVPN, our number one VPN on this channel. Have you ever wondered how free to access sites like Facebook make all of their money? Well, by tracking your searches, video history, and everything you click on, and then selling all of your valuable data. So with Facebook, the social media networking, that's not actually the product. You are the product. But when you use ExpressVPN, you 
anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address that makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. An ExpressVPN could not be easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone or computer and you're protected. It's so easy that even my dad, who is no offense to him, quite the boomer, he uses it all the time. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. I don't think it's anyone else's business what sites you're visiting, right? I mean, you do you as long as it's legal. Uh, ExpressVPN helps you protect that privacy. And not only that, but you can actually also with ExpressVPN watch streaming sites from different countries that have different distribution things like on Netflix, um, even Hulu. It's really cool. And being in Canada, I definitely use that function a lot. It's finally time to say no to censorship and take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com slash Lauren by visiting my special link. You'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash Lauren, expressvpn.com slash Lauren to protect your data today. All right. So as I mentioned in an earlier episode, pinknews.co.uk is my favorite news source for what's happening in the LGBT plus world. Well, now, according to one of their headlines, a damning report ranks UK's legal recognition of trans people among the very worst in Europe. So just I want to ask you a question. What in your mind would qualify as trans recognition? Like, what do you think would be a fair process to go through for a trans person to be recognized as trans let's say on the driver's license or whatever yeah i mean to me you would have some kind of government documentation that says you're a a transgender person right but how would you get that um i would assume through some process uh a a government appointed doctor you're a bigot psychologist you hate trans people i yeah yes i I know that they think that about yeah yeah um of course, none of it's true, but... <laughs> yeah, I, no, but y- your response is what I think a lot of people would assume should be the procedure, right? I mean, you need documentation to even just change your address, right? You need some sort of a bill or a bank statement. Um, I think most people would say it should probably be at least as difficult to change your gender than your address, right? Uh, no, but according to the new criteria of the trans lobby having to do any type of medical intervention medical appointment whatever that is a barrier to trans acceptance in the country which to me is crazy because it's like i grew up with the kind of idea that transgenderism and gender dysphoria it's a medical condition it's something that you're born with it's the way your brain works so of course it being neurological you have to go see a doctor for it and receive treatment you know, and all that, but it's like the new wave of trans lobbyist activists, they've actually turned away from that, which is so strange to me. But to them, it's like trying to associate anything medical with it. That's called trans medicalism. And that's part of transphobia Mm. because you're trying to gatekeep transness. And it's also exclusionary toward like non-binary or gender fluid identities. It's crazy because they're actually like, I think when you start going to that realm, it's becoming less and less accepted because you're making it less and less real, right? Like the, you're turning it from a legitimate medical condition to like a personality trait pushed by, I don't know, left-wing colleges. It's crazy. It's so detached. It is so detached from reality. Yeah, we, we yeah. left reality like seven years ago. But the article says legal gender recognition in the UK is on par with the process in Poland. I love how they use that as a metric. Like, oh, you just know Poland. 
hate trans people apparently and it might be a good place to move frankly <laughs> i'm not learning polish if it weren't for the language maybe the and potatoes worse... are great i love potatoes <laughs> and worse than that in hungary according to a comprehensive and damning new report by the european <laughs> commission the report legal gender recognition in the eu the journeys of trans people towards full equality delves into the experiences of transgender people in society and thoroughly investigates the process of legal gender recognition in different european countries the european commission investigated the situation for transgender people in different countries and using detailed criteria rank countries into five clusters at the top were belgium denmark ireland ireland i'm always surprised at how progressive they are like they claim to be a catholic country yet it's i mean i'm not seeing much of the catholic virtues frankly luxembourg malta and portugal these countries all give trans people the right to self-determine at their legal gender which is what campaigners in the uk have been calling for when the gra is reformed so that's pretty much just i say what i am and you have to recognize it Yes. Like, I feel like a man today, so change that. Greece and France were in the second best cluster, demoted from the top because although they have no medical requirements, trans people in those countries don't have to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria or commit to undergoing gender confirmation surgery. Uh, they do require the trans person, if married, to either get divorced, i.e. in Greece, or appear before a court. So that's strange. I would say that's much more restrictive in terms of trans rights because you're dictating who you can and can't be married to based on your sex but i guess like they view being able to decide your gender as a greater right than being married to whoever you want which is so backward to me yeah if it were me uh, i'd be like i don't care what you call me i want to be married to my spouse Strange. i would think so yeah and the third cluster are slovenia germany hungary croatia sweden and the netherlands these countries require trans people to provide a mental health diagnosis or the opinion of their doctor before they can gain legal recognition of their gender so in their minds like the fact that you need a mental health diagnosis that makes you less accepting of trans people which makes yeah. no sense the fact that science here is to back you up and and uh, want you to get medical treatment like yeah which they're providing to you for free, by the way, because these are all like, you're like, no, that's not accepting of trans people, which is, I mean, that's insane. In Hungary, where since the European Commission conducted its research, Prime Minister Viktor Orban has passed a law legally erasing trans people, married trans people also used to need a divorce. Finally, in the fourth cluster, rated the second worst, is the UK, sitting alongside Slovakia, Poland, Finland, Austria, Estonia, Spain, and Italy. These are all countries that impose, quote, intrusive medical requirements on trans people before they can access legal gender recognition. These groups have preconditions to legal gender recognition that include forcing trans people to undergo sterilization. I think it's, you're not forcing trans people to undergo sterilization. That is part of the transition process. Right, you, it doesn't involve- Certainly part of the surgeries that they're happy to give to people that are below the age of 18. Right, but and now when it comes to you wanting to be able to call yourself now, it's like you're forcing me to sterilize yeah. myself. Now you care about the sterilization. Hormone therapy or surgery before their existence is legally recognized. Mm. Again, like they try to make it about existence. It's like you exist. You're clearly there. No one is debating that you exist. It's whether or not you get to call yourself whatever you feel like it and have other people reciprocate. That label is different. Yeah. Most, including the UK, require trans people to get a diagnosis of gender dysphoria before the government will accept that they're trans. I don't understand why you need this paper. No, that's that's the big thing to me. And the other to part say of you're trans. Yeah. Yeah. Like why? I, I don't understand. I mean, maybe someone can explain it to me. Does it give you any sort of, can you drive new vehicles? Uh, do you have access to different firearms? What is the benefit well, of this precisely? Um, and I also, I find a, a glaring hole in this whole article is that it's, it's limited to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I want to know what does Saudi Arabia think of trans people. What does people? Ethiopia yeah. think? I would like to know what these um, these countries that um, 
we're bringing people over that I'm sure are very progressive. Yeah. What do they what do they think? Right. Because pretty I mean, pretty soon the way that immigration patterns are going, like the policies of Saudi Arabia or Syria are going to be the policies of Sweden. Like, let's be real. Yeah. Right? What does Chechnya think about the gays? <laughs> Google so YouTube search that, there. by the way. They don't have them there. <laughs> At least not anymore. Um, so, yeah, what what kind of gets me is that let's think for a second about why there even is a gender or sex category in government documents. Like, why? Why does the government care? Yeah. It's for identification purposes, right? Like, they mm -hmm. want to know, like, on your driver's license, your height, your hair color, your eye color, and your sex so they can identify you. Or for medical records, right? So the idea that now on government um, identity cards, we can just call ourselves whatever we want, that completely defeats the purpose of why we even have these identifiers in the first place. It's so that we can recognize who these people are, right? So, I mean, if there's, like, someone coming in and they have their gender not their sex listed on their identification, that could be a problem at a hospital, right? If you yeah. have someone who is missing and you're looking for them and they're just a dude who woke up and decided he wanted to be a woman one day, if you tell people you're looking for a feet, like that's, that's gonna mess up the search. These identifiers exist for a reason and the reason basically is not to affirm how we all feel on the inside. It's just not. So I think it makes sense what the UK has done saying, look, you've got to be actually transitioning for us to legally recognize you on this. Because, yeah, it does matter, especially when we talk about things like women's prisons. It's like, look, if you're just some dude who hasn't even had the snip and, you know, and you're wanting to get access to women in confined areas. I'm sorry, that's a problem. Like, that is a problem. So... I mean, good luck trying to further this agenda. I think most people are going to have a problem with the idea that you can just go up to the government and without paperwork, decide whatever gender you want to be called. You can't change your address that way, though. That that needs paperwork. But gender identity, yeah, whatever you want, whatever you feel. It's all fine. It's whatever. Uh, okay, so next up, Teen Vogue. Oh my gosh, Teen Vogue. If I had a penny for every Teen Vogue article I've seen that makes me want to pull my hair out, it's like, why not just write about lip gloss? fashion, you know, how to ask out boy, whatever. I don't know why they need to write about literal communism. This new article says an eviction crisis is coming. We need to treat housing as a right. So I've been accused of like throwing around the word socialism or communism too much. But I mean, these, this is literal communism. They want to abolish private property. Like mm -hmm. I, there's no other word for it. Before we actually read the article, which is a dumpster fire, by the way, just prepare yourself emotionally, mentally. I do want to tell you about Laurel Springs. So with the whole pandemic thing, a lot of parents are having to homeschool their kids for the very first time. And a lot of people I think are actually really liking it, enjoying the experience, enjoying being able to take control of their kids' education and spend more time with with their children, but hey, you might also be feeling at the same time that you could use some guidance, some help with things. Well, that's where Laurel Spring comes in. Online learning might be new for your family, but Laurel Springs has been doing this for nearly 30 years. As the experts in online learning, Laurel Springs has the tools and the curriculum your child needs to maintain their learning unhindered by whatever the future holds. Their flexible learning programs designed for students in kindergarten through 12th grade offer challenging and diverse courses, and Laurel Springs is accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges in Kanye, which means their transcripts are recognized by colleges and universities worldwide. So register 
register your child at laurelsprings.com slash lauren today and receive a waived registration fee. That is laurelsprings.com slash lauren for your waived registration fee. Again, laurelsprings.com slash lauren. And I've got to say, folks, even if you're not in an area where schooling might be interrupted by the pandemic, with everything going on in public schools, things yep. that we have done stories about, I would still strongly urge you to look into Laurel Springs because you just can't take for granted anymore that your kids aren't going to be fed some crazy indoctrination when you send mm. them off to these schools. Yeah, you'll get them proper education here. Right, um, And exactly. I think that this segment is a perfect example as to why oh, you should be careful with sending your kids to a public institution. Right, because there's, I mean, the Overton window for what is acceptable and not for teens, even younger than teens, children, is it's really changing. So we have this article from Teen Book that again, literal communism. It says, it's been four months since the onslaught of the coronavirus pandemic first highlighted the failures of capitalism and the incompetence of the United States government. I'm always down to talk about the incompetence of government I would say it's a bit of a stretch to say that it was a failure of capitalism considering all the closures and everything that happened were mandated by the government. So that's not that's sure. not capitalism. And what country did the the virus come from? Yeah. I mean, I guess it is nominally Catholic, but it is the, the Chinese. You mean capitalist. Okay, sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also run the show while I'm doing this. I'm, I've got some cameras on. So yeah, when I fumble my words, I'm not completely uh, I'm not completely there sometimes, yeah. but uh, Yes, it, it came from a country that is, uh, in fact, communist. Right. So, so, I mean, I don't think that communism has been this great protection against coronavirus. And if you look historically, communism has not been a great protector in general against, I don't know, different famines, diseases, general human rights abuses. But we continue. There was an opportunity for our country to become less horrible, to finally deal with some of our institutional failings. This, of course, did not happen. Congress did not rise to the occasion, providing or even seriously considering necessary transfer transformational policies like universal basic income, universal health care, rent suspension, or debt forgiveness. Instead, they gave us crumbs through a one-time payment of $1,200 and $600 extra in unemployment, while many of the well-connected, including several lawmakers themselves, cashed in via the Paycheck Payment Protection Loans programs intended for small businesses. So pretty much, this person wants Gibbs. If you'll notice, all of the policies she listed are about Gibbs. And she's upset that small business owners, i.e. people who actually have people to pay, got more money than just random people who don't have a business. Yeah. So. Uh, and, and part of me is critical of how though some of that fund was handed out. I do. Oh, yeah. There I, are a lot of people and institutions who got money who shouldn't have. Yeah, exactly. So I can't, I can't agree that... I almost think that in Canada we handle it better than the states. And complimenting ah, Trudeau is not something I've ever done. I don't know about that. Um, well, anyways, well, let's not get into that. Yeah. But, but anyways, there's definite. It's definitely true that the funds were mishandled. But your your um, argument seems to be too much given out. Hers is not enough. Need more Gibbs. Yes. yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Continues. The response to this crisis has made it even more clear that party politics are a sham. Okay, that I'd, I'd agree with. And the real political affinity lies within class and race. I don't know how you got that from what you just said. Like, I don't know how race is... Okay, that's fine. While we're working to abolish the police, because of course you are, you're Teen Vogue, we must also work to dismantle what the police were put here to protect, and that's property. Oh my god. What are these people on? How is this a teen magazine? What is more evident of the legacy of settler colonialism and its violence than the idea of the ownership of land? What helped shape the unequal distribution of wealth and enduring segrega segregation of our cities quite like centuries of racist property laws? Like the amount of ignorance, like settler colonialism. Do you think that places that weren't colonized don't have private property and like land and just general ownership? Because that's not true. 
like other places aren't just living in utopian love hut villages. No war has ever been fought over land in the past. No. Never. Only from Europeans, that's it. Yes. Like you oh, it's it's startling how ignorant these people are. And we actually we just did this segment not long ago when you're watching this about John Oliver and his woke history and it's the same thing. Like these people only look at America's past and compare it to today and think, "Wow, these people were evil." They have no concerns of what history looked like other places in the world, right? Because it's not like Mongolians or let's see the the Turks or the Persians had any regard for, you know, owning land or something like that or claiming land for themselves. Nah, nah. As millions of people, particularly black and Latinx Americans are on the verge of eviction, only them, <laughs> it is time that we look at the idea of private housing and the role it plays in maintaining economic violence. Economic violence, i.e. not violence in those communities. You know what's so funny is that these people, they don't care about like black property owners or Latin American nope. property owners, like they don't care. They don't care about poor white people either. Yeah. Right? So it's just anything that doesn't fit the narrative of like neo-Marxist racial look at the world yeah, doesn't exist in their kind of thinking. Right. And like, I'm sorry, but you can't complain that there's not more investment into your communities when you're trying to abolish private property. Like, no. of, of course, people don't want to go there. And when you're also rioting, like what? Why would they? There are places where you can own land without people complaining about you, where you can hire people without people uh, calling you some sort of like bourgeois. Yeah. Person. And on all this, at the same time, when there used there was just previously the lowest unemployment rate among blacks in and, history, right? Historic. And and if you look at the metrics, the least amount of racial violence, mm -hmm. uh, like record high black entrepreneurship. It's it's just so mind-bogglingly detached from what has actually happened in reality, which is the most common theme I see with progressive lefts, leftists yeah. all the time. Right, and it's just. It's crazy how this narrative of racism is the cause of everything. We must destroy capitalism. I'm amazed at how many people are buying into it, right? Because it, it's not supported by fact. They don't seem to care. Okay, it says, The pandemic didn't create this housing crisis, but it did further expose the cruelty of payment-based housing, i.e., housing pretty much everywhere. That's that's how it works. Yes. Wages that have remained stagnant while rent prices ballooned, especially over the last two decades, have meant millions of Americans have been living one disaster away from being unable to afford their rent. You know why I don't really buy the fact that these people are genuinely concerned about a housing crisis is that a, they're still inviting migrants in, right? And that's a huge reason for inflated housing costs. And I know specifically if you're like in BC, in Canada or in California, like a lot of the reason why housing is expensive is because there's been a huge influx of people. Yeah. Of course, it's a limited commodity. And then if you also look at the fact that you you know right away from like reading stuff like that, that these people live in cities. Yep. They live in cities where everyone is living on top of each other and they are so in their urban bubbles, they can't even imagine that there are places where you can rent an entire apartment for like 500 bucks a month, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, move, just move. And you'd yeah. also maybe meet some people who didn't think like you, which would probably be healthy. And it's also, I mean, to speak from my own personal experience, for those of you that don't know, I'm actually, I'm a member of a First Nation here in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I actually have access to land for essentially free to build on. Yeah, a First Nation for Americans are like Native Americans in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I have access to, in the reservation designated for uh, 
my group. Mm-hmm. I have access to land there that I, I could pay like a dollar for or whatever it is. There, there's an incentive for me to build there. The only problem is I would never own the land. Right. It's a lifetime and lease. It's a lifetime lease. And and you could see there aren't many people that build in those places because- You don't own it. You don't own it. You can't pass it on to the next generation. You Like there's no, the investment in it is just not worth it. Mm-hmm. So the, that's what you would happen in a kind of communist world. You would right. have, the people that do build there build like- mobile homes essentially mm-hmm. so you're ownership. not gonna get yeah ownership is important it incentivizes development yes which yeah. is better for everybody in the long run we know this economics is not a zero-sum game and when mm-hmm. you start doing these games where we all have to share the land and we can't you know pass it on to the to our our children and when, you can't even own it yourself yeah you can't own it yourself uh, i don't know what kind of rights i would have to it yeah, right. there's not a huge incentive for me to actually move there despite the fact that how are we given like quote actual, unquote free land? Actual yeah. land, yeah. It says in sections of Brooklyn, New York, where Black and Latinx communities have been battling against gentrification for years, community members are taking matters into their own hands. Crown Heights residents have conducted anti-eviction protests led by the group Equality for Flatbrush. Okay, so I like how they say battling against gentrification, right? Because they complain about segregation in this very essay. Yeah. But they also complain about gentrification, i.e. white people moving into these areas. So it's like segregation bad, white flight bad, gentrification also bad. Where should white people live? Like, yeah. yeah. I or mean, also, honestly, they just want to send us to space. And that's yeah, ethno-nationalism bad, yeah. so they can't just go back to Europe either. There is a disconnect between those in political office and the general public. That disconnect is wealth and class. I, I mean, I would agree with that yeah. to a certain extent. I mean, I completely, actually, uh, that I completely agree with. I don't think that you should have people like Nancy Pelosi or, yeah. or other people that end up being worth millions of dollars as a lifetime politician. Mm-hmm. That is completely backwards. And, right. and you know, when we when Trump got elected in 2016, one of the major talking points was draining Drain the, the swamp. swamp. Yeah. You know, getting some of that money out of Washington would be terrific. I agree there. I don't think the disconnect is what is... Of, of the conclusion as to what that disconnect yeah. brings is what she thinks it is. Though. There's an elite ruling class, therefore abolish property. Yes. I feel like yeah. we've skipped several, uh, mm-hmm. you know, steps there. Says the constitution was created by land owning white men who were the only people who could vote for decades after this country's founding. I don't agree with the white men thing. I do agree with maybe only property owners voting or, or net or taxpayers. taxpayer contributors. Yeah, I would agree with that. This legacy still guides the government's funding priorities. Uh, no, okay, <laughs> moving on. Instead of seeing housing as a right and something that should should not be commodified. Okay, but it is a commodity. Like these people, I got in trouble on Twitter for calling um, healthcare and a university degrees commodities. And people are like, no, they're not. They're rights. So it's like, okay, but in terms of economics, they are literally a commodity, yeah. i.e., something that can be bought, sold, uh, traded, that actually has a market value. These are commodities. Just because you call something a right, that doesn't mean that it's just going to magically appear from the air. And I think when you look at places that have tried to make housing a guarantee, what you notice is that houses don't just grow up from the ground magically because you want to you want them to be a human right there needs to be an incentive to build and that doesn't come if people can't actually own them so it's like where would these houses come from it says the state enlists its own armed forces sheriffs and police to remove occupants from residences if they cannot pay rent yes yeah like if if i own a house and you say oh can i live there i'm probably gonna be like no actually it's my house but you tell me oh it's okay i'll pay you okay, I'm going to let you live in my house. But then if you fail to pay me, you're breaking your contract. Yeah. 
Like, why sh you shouldn't be allowed to do that? And for that matter, it's the same agreement when someone agrees to take a mortgage with the bank. Right. Right. You've you've decided I'm going to borrow money from you, institution, and I will mm -hmm. pay it back over time. And if you don't do that, you are stealing. Right. From the bank. You're and stealing an actual thing, by the way. It's not some ethereal kind of. Yeah. Like uh, I don't know. It's not like my my lively like my life itself. It's it's something that actually exists in yeah, the real world. Yeah. It's an world. tangible it has, amount of dollars. It has value. Yeah. It's not so. Yeah. It, it, so you you are directly harming somebody and i do i do agree with the whole per, like um outlook of negative rights right. right those are the only things that i think that w that we should be considering rights in this situation these positive rights of housing i would like everybody to have a house um, doesn't make it a right though but it's not yeah it's not a right and it's not a right something that should be guaranteed by the government and just to your point yes. for people who aren't familiar with the terms a negative right is something that people inherently have guaranteed as a human right and that's kind of like the more enlightenment version of what human rights are you have things like freedom of religion um free speech um right to life right to property these are rights that if you were on a stranded deserted island island yeah, you, you would still have you don't need somebody else to provide it for you right um positive rights are kind of the way that socialists and increasingly people in europe and general view rights whereas that you need to be given something so this is the idea that healthcare should be a right yep. that housing should be a right things like that that education should be a right that's mm -hmm. a quote positive right and i frankly don't think those are rights at all i think that sometimes you have benefits to citizenship right yeah. which you oh, know exactly. i'm not necessarily against depending on how feasible it is and whatever right but it's still not a right. The article says, the lack of protections for non-land owners should be no surprise from a country founded on the genocide and colonization of indigenous peoples. So this is actually not true. If you are a renter, you do have rights, thankfully, right? Because yeah. you have a contract with your landlord. Um, They can't just come in the middle of the night if you've paid your rent and say, get out. And they frankly, can't do that. Sometimes those rights are over the top. Here in Montreal, the renters have a, a lot of rights. Right. And in the UK, you even have squatters rights, which I don't think should be a thing. Yeah. So there, there is like sometimes these rights actually do violate the rights of, in my opinion, the landowners. I would agree with that. But yeah, I mean, I think this is someone who is not well versed in real estate and things like that because and i do agree that there should be some like there should be a contract between these two parties right if you are living in a place then the landlord should have a minimum requirement to like upkeep it so that you're not being mm -hmm. infested with bugs and stuff you you know you have the right to reside in it they can't just come in whenever they want and look through your stuff you have rights don't act as if you don't have rights yeah. you do this is written by someone who has never either never taken an economics class or if they did i could literally picture them covering their ears yeah because what they're listening to is a science of white supremacy pretty much in their mind of course it says it is important that the anti-eviction movement be linked to the larger land struggles in this country for years this country has denied indigenous people their inherent land rights and systemically systematically sorry prevented black people from obtaining housing in certain neighborhoods through laws and racist economic practices the answer to the housing crisis isn't a moratorium on evictions that only delays these violent events while furthering indebting renters in the interim we should cancel rent outright as this pandemic rages and we should work toward a world toward a world where landlords no longer hold this sort of power over people's lives we need a housing movement based on a rejection of the construct that any one person should own this earth's land what the it's like to me i i think i actually have the solution to the problems to be honest uh, from their perspective i think that i can solve this issue and that is i think we should look at the population of homeless people and tell them how many of them are men yeah. And then they could just dismiss them. They don't need to care anymore. Right. Because right? it's, it's men. It's, it's just it's, it's just, just a patriarchy men. working in its own ways. It's just they've messed up. You know, 
It is what it is. Yeah. And there's this new running narrative of hating landlords, right? And it comes from this communist perspective. Yes. And I've never understood it, right? But in their minds, like, landlords don't do anything. They just collect money from you. So that sucks. But it's like... They they bought the house like you wouldn't be living where you're living if they hadn't saved their money and actually yes. invested in something. A, and in a city, you need a, a large amount of capital right. to build those land to build those apartments, so that then you could rent them for a much more affordable price than then, the land would actually cost. Right. If the money cost if if the land costed nothing in those places. What would we do? Right. How would you how would you determine who gets to even live in the city? Right. Because guess what? That nice little studio apartment you have in San Francisco or New York, a lot of other people, if if price yeah. were an issue, would want to live in San Francisco and New York. And guess what? You would not be able to buy that place flat out. So you'd no. have to live somewhere you would hate in the Midwest. I mean, it's our apartment anyways. Yeah. And, and you don't have any gun rights and there's no police. So what up? What, like, yeah, what's what going do you on? Do? <laughs> what's going on, buddy? Where? Give you, me the you keys. Um, this this whole conversation reminds me of a actually tweet that you showed me. It says, if my rent money is paying for my landlord's mortgage, shouldn't I be part owner? You own residence of that place for yeah. as long as you're paying the rent. Like you you can live there. That's what you get from the property. Oh my goodness. Yeah. These people, like, are you serious? It's wild. I have to it's say- crazy. I have to give a shout out to Matt Walsh there. One of, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. Yeah, he's great. His reply was something along the lines of, oh yeah, that reminds me of the time I went to McDonald's and I bought a burger and became- a CEO. Right. You and know, it's so true. Yeah. It's again, they're just devolved from reality. You should be thankful to your landowner who's giving you, who's renting you a place right. where you can live. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's a, it's a fair price, but you have the option not to live there. Yeah, you can move. You know? And that's the thing. I think these people are so far removed from what buying a house is actually like. They have no idea. Cause it's like the amount you pay in rent, if that were to give you a share in the property would be so small. Mm -hmm. Right. Because properties are really expensive and you have a mortgage and like paying cash for something is very rare. So when people say like, oh, well, we should just cancel rent and cancel mortgages. You have no idea of the economic dominoes that would fall as a result of that. Like that yeah. would actually be housing crisis bank, uh, like bank withdrawal crisis because the money the bank lends out that actually comes from other people's savings accounts. And it's like it, you would destroy the economy with like that one policy saying everyone can live wherever they want that you don't have to pay with it pay for it and the yeah. fact that these people like they don't appreciate that it scares me like i'm scared that these people have votes it's whoo yeah um anyway so that was the latest latest foray into the world of teen vogue disappointing as always but now let's let's go move on to something a little bit lighter yeah well how about how about you send your kids to laurel springs first yeah of just all? Uh, don't get them any teen vogue you know uh Let's get them a proper education. Seriously. Oh, my goodness. Um, so let's talk about fans versus critics. It has been a running theme in the world of entertainment media that fans and critics just no longer see eye to eye for stuff. It's not common. It's not uncommon, sorry, to see something on Rotten Tomatoes have a very high critic score, a very low audience score, or vice versa. Yeah. And it just seems like there's no longer this universal consensus where something can be well-received by audiences and critics alike. I mean, it happens, but it's increasingly rare. Yeah. Especially when it comes to franchises, I think. Yeah, um, maybe not also artsy movies and things like that to some degree, as long yeah. as the message is progressive. But that, I mean, to me, that's a great example of the actual disconnect between elite leftists that are in their own bubble and the general population. Because yeah. that's, that's, that's what it is. You have an elite group of reviewers here who have their own criteria for what is a good piece of media. Mm -hmm. And 
it has nothing to do with what the average person wants uh, and just yes yeah. Th- that also but also what i will decree is objectively good media or not because it's all been bad <laughs> yeah um well now there's this narrative among the critics or the access media who are buddy buddy with the studios that you know what the problem with these fans are you know it's not just that we're making bad movies it's just the fans are entitled right they want to tell us what to do with these franchises and this and these movies and it's just they're they're entitled they're bratty they're whiny mm. um we've seen that with Game of Thrones, there was actually a petition after the final season for the final season to be remade with different writers. Star Wars fans have been very vocal about how they dislike the new iteration, the new trilogy that happened under Kathleen Kennedy. And even recently, the Snyder Cut of Justice League was released based on a fan p- fans pushing for it, even though it's not what the studio and critics originally wanted. Well, we have this piece from The Guardian that discusses this whole I guess, divide between the fans and the critics. Says Game of Thrones petitions and Star Wars trolls, fans have become far too entitled. How dare you want to be entertained? Ron Howard, the director of Solo, a Star Wars story, recently suggested that a fan backlash against the Star Wars saga as a whole, primarily driven by negative reaction to the preceding film, The Last Jedi, was responsible for his own movie's mediocre performance at the box office. Howard pointed to a concerted campaign to drive down audience reaction scores on sites such as Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic arguing that Solo may have earned more than its 393 million box office take had such aggressive trolling not occurred. So, I mean, basically what he's saying is that if people weren't so vocal about how much they didn't like the film, more people would have gone and watched and liked the film. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I look, trolling does happen. Been, um, you, you can have segments of the population that are smaller than they would appear online, but are just overly vocal. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to something like box office, what you have to understand is that most people, most moviegoers are not on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, right? You can't just blame the movie's failings on that. No. It doesn't make sense. No. Um, you have people like my dad who will literally just go see anything that has Star Wars on it. He even... will just walk in. He'll, he'll, he wants to go to a movie. Yeah. He'll find a movie to watch. Right. Basically, there are people like that. They just love movies. They just look at the list of movies and they're like here's the one i'm the most interested in right, right? even he though i have to say didn't go see solo in, in theaters because he said and i quote looks crap so i don't i don't know what yeah. to tell you the article says the director may have a point but to blame angry internet fans alone for the film's performance overlooks a number of other factors that will probably have contributed to its underwhelming reception the critical press reaction was hardly much more enthusiastic solo's audience score on rotten tomatoes was 64 the critical consensus was at 70 not a big difference. Howard himself, while undoubtedly a talented filmmaker, was parachuted into reworking the film after the original team of Phil Lord and Christopher Miller were let go due to creative differences. And Disney's chief executive, Bob Iger, has even admitted that yet another Star Wars release so soon after the previous installment may have contributed to audience fatigue with the saga. We see this all the time um, when movies, shows that are supposed to be this big progressive deal don't perform as well, they make excuses, right? And we saw this recently with um, Birds of Prey, Charlie's Angels. It's all about like, no, no, it's just the fans have a problem. It's like, well, if all of these movies keep failing time after time, maybe you have a problem. Like maybe it's just that you're not good, right? And it's not just Americans who aren't going to see these movies, it's the international market as well, because you could really make your money back and more in China alone, but you're you're not doing that either. I kind of agree with one point though, and they might be exhausting the the kind of hype around the Star Wars. Yeah, uh, people are getting bored of it. I think people are getting bored of it. I mean, part of it is that not every movie has been a, a hit. You yeah. know, definitely there have been movies that are definitely weak in there. And that's not just me saying that. That is right. the average person noticing that. And at least for me, 
more and more, the more I see developers of any kind, video games, anything like that, taking their time, I'm like, listen, release it in five years, please. Yeah, just make it take, good. Take your time. I want it. No, I, I want it. Like, I want it to be like like a fine wine. Yeah. You know, because, you know, Call of Duty, they release a new game every year. It's the same as the last game for the most part. Yeah. I say that as the most popular game on the internet right now is Call of Duty. But the point is, like... If they're putting out a new Star Wars movie every year, even though I think they've got two simultaneous things going on, mm-hmm. so every second year they're making one with that same studio maybe, it's going to be a lesser product. Right. But I mean, I will say, and this is something that people have brought up in response to a point like you're making, that when it comes to Marvel, they put out maybe two movies a year yeah, and people still flock to go see them. You're right about that. And um, and this point, this is where I have to like literally agree with this person and say the audience is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Those movies are bad. I'm sorry. They're, They're not all bad. Okay. I know. We disagree. It says, in recent years, we've seen a growth in entitled attitudes among some fans, a feeling that has always bubbled under the surface, but which has risen as the internet has given more and more amplification to their voices. So pretty much they're just mad that the audience is able to express what they think of your, your art, yeah. right? But it's like, you can make whatever you want. Audiences don't have to like it. As far as these fans are concerned, their beloved characters and universes are not owned by their makers, but by those who spend their hard-earned money going to watch them. I think this is kind of a... This is wrong because with the Star Wars new iteration, it's not their, quote, maker or the original maker that's making it, right? It's just some other person. And that's true with a lot of the franchises people are not happy with. It's not the original makers that are making it. And I think the fans would say that right there is the problem. Um, So I I bring up this article because it was interesting. Uh, Within a few days of reading that, I saw this other article on the Mary Sue saying, give Solo a sequel, you cowards, right? So we just have this whole entire article about why Solo didn't perform well. Well, according to this critic, at least, uh, that's reason why you should make another one, right? Because if at first it didn't do well, just do it again. Yeah. Great, great recipe for business success. It says, talking to Radio Andy on Sirius XM director Ron Howard said, there's no sequel planned now, and it's amazing to be part of a Star Wars movie that seems to be kind of an underground hit, which is not what you'd expect, but there's been an odd, strange journey for that movie. Is it an underground hit? I hadn't heard this. I've only heard it's trash. Yeah. I don't know. But then again, I'm, I'm not like some movie snob. There might be some kind of underground circle that's like yeah this is art maybe i mean i'm i'm not a huge star wars fan i've talked about this yeah on the show before but i have seen every single main star wars movie like the three different trilogies i also saw rogue one i tried watching solo on netflix or something i couldn't get through the past 20 minutes so i actually stopped watching it because i found it boring Despite so, the fact that you'd watch nine Star Wars or more, ten Star Wars movies. Yeah, probably. exactly. Yeah. But I just didn't. And it was free. Yeah. I, I still didn't want to watch it. But this writer says, now look here. Give me more solo, you cowards. Yes, the caps were necessary. Because I think that you're all comparing box office totals to budget instead of thinking about people who actually care about this movie. Solo probably didn't do well in turning a profit in the grand scheme of Star Wars movies because it isn't part of a major trilogy. And it's a side story. Okay, well, that's a pretty good reason to not make another movie, right? Because it indicates people's interest in it. It's about the principle of art, Lauren. Yes, of art. Don't you know how great and artistic those movies are and they'll be watched for generations? Yeah, and it's not even art in everyone's views. It's just this very specific niche critic view world where it's actually apparently a good movie. This person says, Solo didn't have to be a big box office hit, in my opinion. Why not? (laughs) 
like what and disney's big mistake was expecting that of it how dare you expect a movie to actually make money and be enjoyed by fans of the franchise that's not what it's about that's yeah not... especially with like the biggest name in movie history perhaps, right right it needed to create a world for us to explore look at rogue one yes rogue one did better at the box office roughly 1 billion versus solo's 330 million that's a big difference right and that totally invalidates the last thing she said which it didn't do well because it isn't part of a major trilogy rogue one wasn't either so i also think that solo didn't really have the right marketing behind it but what the movie did was create a world where we actually got an exploration of han solo as a character yeah so i guess part of me is like this is a diehard star wars fan they will not listen to logic they're very happy just getting star wars content all the time of course these movies are expensive yeah they take a lot to do uh, it's probably not a good investment, especially if the movie is, by most people, not received very well. They're going to get a less return the next time they put out a movie, mm -hmm. right? It's just, right. I mean, it's not going to, it's very, very rare that a sequel makes more than its predecessor. It does happen, mm -hmm. but it's quite, quite rare. Yeah. And we saw that with um, the most recent Star Wars trilogy. The first one was the most profitable. Every other one since then was a fall off in profit. I mean, so we see stuff like this all the time. And I'm just curious going forward now that we've had so many failures of quote like woke critic bait of things like birds of prey um things also like yeah charlie's angels i wonder at what point studios will stop listening to these critics and say okay you know what maybe we listen to the fans a little bit like maybe we listen to the average moviegoer and what they actually want to see versus these people who yeah may have blogs but don't represent the vast majority of movie movie watchers or just humans in general yeah or just humans in general that's true um i don't know it's kind of like get woke go broke and i would have thought that a while ago production studios would have said oh you know what maybe we stop listening to these blue-haired people uh but they keep doing it so i don't know maybe there's an ideological drive there that capitalism hasn't accounted for because they seem more than happy to keep losing money but that's pretty much all we have to say for now though and as always we want to say a big thank you for tuning in yeah and we'll see you next time